while you're standing, would you take your Bible or smart device, whatever you read from, and turn to Matthew chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16. And read this passage of Scripture that basically asks a, a question that we need to consider today. And the real issue uh, that the Lord Jesus gives to the uh, apostles, to the disciples at the beginning, is really not the crux of the matter. What do, what do people say about Jesus? Well, they say a lot. But really the crux of the issue is what is your response to this question? And uh, after that we will examine. Um, th there are many teachings on the seven last words of Jesus from the cross to people, um, but this is a little bit different. The crowd that was around him responding to him, the seven last words to the cross, people's response to him. Matthew 16, beginning with verse 13, we read these words. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people, another place, another gospel says, who do the crowds say that I am, the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And he said to them, really he said it to all of us, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, I hope he replied for all of us here today, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Father, I thank you that uh, you give us your word. I thank you that we, we preach Christ crucified. Uh, every Sunday we live Christ crucified and buried and resurrected every day as we preach the gospel to ourselves. But there, there is a season, and we're in that season where we, we make a laser focus on what our response to is to Jesus and His death on the cross and His burial and His resurrection. And so whether it's today on Palm Sunday or it's as uh, your people come together on Friday night for our, uh, for our celebration, really, and our Lord's Supper, the death of Christ, Good Friday, or it's next Sunday in our two services, our Resurrection Sunday, I pray that you would speak through your Word and we would see ourselves in these groups of people that we're going to talk about today and these individuals. And so, Lord, help us as we study now. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, you see on your outline that this is a seven-point sermon. And so we uh, need to get cracking and look at these different groups. Again, the, the, the real key is that you and I see ourselves in these different groups, and there's a progression. In fact, in the first three of these groups of people, I would like you to, and you don't have to really turn to the Scriptures, because I'd like you to turn to another Scripture. I think it parallels with the first three groups of people. I'd like you to turn to Psalm chapter 1, Psalm chapter 1, and uh, there, there, there's a real parallel that's going on. I, I hope you're not in the first four groups. Okay, 
Uh, I, I hope that you won't be in any of these, and we're going to see why in just a minute. We'll look at these passages of Scripture uh, on the, uh, the screen, and you can follow along. I hope you'll take notes, but most of all, in your heart that you will respond. Let's look first of all at the first group. Now, as G- and I have a picture of this. I was going to put it up, but I realized that the picture would be too small. You wouldn't be able to see it. So let me just describe it. It's one of the few pictures that shows the perspective of what Jesus saw when He was hanging on the cross. Now, the only people that are left out are the, the, the thief on His left and the thief on His right, but what's interesting, it goes right down and you can see the feet of Jesus, then you can see Mary, then you can see the other disciples, and you go out, you can see the Roman soldiers, you can see the... the, the scribes and the Pharisees, the religious leaders, you can see the bystanders, and then we start way at the outside, you can see those who were passing by. It's an interesting group. So let's read this Scripture, and and then we'll talk about this particular group of people. And again, I hope this is not your response to Jesus. Matthew 27, 39 through 40, or excuse me, uh, 18 through 20. And those who passed by derided him, this was a mocking, wagging their heads and saying, you who destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself. If you are the Son of God, come down from the cross. Now, you've got to remember this about the crucifixion, and and a lot of times we have so changed our perception of what really went on that we don't get an idea. This was an incredibly public event. The crucifixion took place at a busy intersection. There was a crowd around, and these people were not specifically with the crowd, but they probably would have been aware of who Jesus was and of His teachings, what He had said. And and what we get the idea of in their words, if you looked at them just a minute ago, it's almost a passive, kind of a casual disdain. They see without seeing. They look up and they see a man on a cross. Well, they've, they've seen men on the cross probably hundreds of times before. So, have you ever been guilty of seeing without seeing? I I thought to myself as I was looking at this and thinking about how I see without seeing, uh, when I'm going to to make my, on Friday mornings, my Walmart and Target and and, and Sam's run for Jan, part of my honeydew chores. You guys do that, don't you? Okay. One of my favorite times of the week. (laughs) Just got to say. And there are people on the corner that I see but I don't see. I don't think I disdain them, but I I see without seeing. What I see there is is what's going on and and the way that they're dressed, but I don't really see them. I, I think what I'm trying to get you to see is that each of these groups don't just reject outright, that's not me. And maybe it's not you right now, but I can go back to a place in my life where I was in this group, and still, to some extent, I'm still there. Here's 
here, here's a way it might express itself even in the church. I, I've heard about Jesus. There may be some people here like this today. But you know what, Pastor? My life is really busy. Well, I, I just don't have the time to stop and consider Jesus. He, he, he might get on my to-do list someday. Besides, look at and then fill in the blank with whatever you've got going on. Or sometimes fill in the blank with whatever inconsistency you find in Jesus, or you find in His teaching, or you find in His followers. It's so interesting. Jesus was no sooner on the cross that they were demanding that He come down. I, I, I really think that come down from the cross is probably one of the most typical demands of an unsaved world. Do you know why? Again, it's hard. We've sanitized this. I've said this before. We've so sanitized what happened to Jesus on that day that we forget that it was absolutely abhorrent for salvation to be able to come through a crucified God. That's essentially what was going on. It, it was considered deeply obscene. Or even, here's a term that I've heard today, absolutely, completely, tinfoil hat ridiculous. This was not an intellectual thing. This was a problem with their theology. Again, a God dying on the cross. You see, here's the situation out there, and I'm talking about with other religions too. Every religion apart from Christianity, does not want a cross. Paul says it in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. The word of the cross is folly. Now again, we've read these words so much that we sometimes lose the punch of them. It's folly to those who are perishing. We preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews, and folly to the Gentiles. Again, think instead of just the word folly, stumbling block, think obscenity. So outlandish that it, it almost defies description. And that's why, and I, I said religions a minute ago. Does anybody know what the second biggest religion in the world is? Islam. It's estimated that Christians make up about 2.3 billion, give or take a few. And it's estimated right now, and it's growing faster than Christianity, that Islam has about 1.8 million adherents. Now, I, I know some Muslims personally, and they are, the ones that I know are, are, are good people, and, and they're, they're very fastidious about their own religion, but they believe something very, very specific about Jesus and about the cross. And here is, is, is a quote from the Quran. Now, it really, and I started to do this, I actually copied it off in Arabic. 
But since I don't read Arabic and you don't read Arabic, I thought I would go ahead and give the translation of it. In the Quran, to read it, actually, you have to know Arabic. That's the way it's supposed to be done. But now listen to what the Quran says about the crucifixion of Christ and about us, those of us who believe in this. And for their saying, this is, he's, Muhammad was writing about Christians. For their saying, we have killed the Messiah, Jesus, and look at what they call him, the son of Mary, the messenger of God. They, they view Jesus as a great prophet. In fact, they did not kill him, nor did they crucify him, but it appeared to them as if they did. Indeed, he's talking about us. He's talking about all of the differences in theology that Christians have and all of the different interpretations and all of the different versions of the Bible. So they're poking a little bit. Indeed, those who differ about him are in doubt about it. Now, let me stop and ask you, are you in doubt about the reality of the crucifixion of Jesus Christ? I hope not. It is central to what we believe. It is central to the gospel. And look at this. They end up by saying in this verse, they have no knowledge of it except the following assumptions. Certainly, they did not kill him. They say we're making assumptions. We say we're going to the word of God. Let me share this to you. And bring it in a little bit closer to home. One of the reasons why the cross has lost its, how can I say it, um, favor. It, 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 that sounds strange for somebody to say in church, doesn't it? One of the reasons why over the last however many years that there has been a, a rise in what has been loosely called seeker-sensitive kinds of, of worship. And I, here's what I mean by that. Making the church accessible to those who are outside the church. Now, we always want to be accessible, don't we? Except where it means dumbing down what the Bible teaches about the necessity of the cross. There's a man who uh, hasn't been gone long. You young people probably have never heard this name. Some of you out there haven't either, but Robert Schuller, very, very popular pastor, who not only was called the father of the modern church growth movement, in, in other words, the, the church growth, the pragmatic movement, where essentially... He said there needs to be a, a new reformation where we take out the offensive parts of what church is all about so that we will appeal to more people. And he said this in one of his books. I don't think... Now, now see, it, it, before I read this quote, let me say this. If you, if you don't have sin, then you don't need a cross. So, Schuller never had to deny the cross. He just had to deny the reality of our own sin so that we just don't really need to be saved. So, he said, I don't think anything has been done 
in the name of Christ and under the banner of Christianity that has proven more destructive to human personality. And hence, now, before I go on, remember he was all about self-esteem. And hence, counterproductive to the evangelism enterprise, at least his evangelism enterprise, than the often crude, uncouth, and unchristian strategy of attempting to make people aware of their lost and sinful condition. And so if you're a passerby, and you don't look deeply, you don't look deeply at your own need for the cross, you don't look deeply at Jesus Christ, you won't come near the cross long enough to absorb the reality, the mercy that flows from the cross for sinners like you and me. I could spend a lot more time there, but I better move on to the second one. We've got six more to go, okay? The next group, let's come in a little bit from the passerby, passersby to the bystanders. Now, I had you turn to Psalm 1 a minute ago, and here's where I want you to hook into these three groups, and I'll, I'll show you this there. The passerbys, those who were just walking by. Psalm 1, the first part of it says what? Do you have that in your Bible? And we'll read this in a second. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the way of the wicked. They just keep on walking. Here's the next group. They've stopped. They're the bystanders. Or stand in the way of the sinners. Mark chapter 15 says this. Some of the bystanders hearing it they said, behold, he's calling Elijah. Now, let me give you a little bit of context for what has just happened. This is after the darkness has descended, okay? So, my guess is some of the people that were walking by stopped and stood there. He's calling for Elijah. Jesus had just said, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And they misunderstood. He's calling Elijah. Someone ran and filled a sponge with sour wine. We don't know who that was. It was probably a Roman soldier. I don't know how he got permission to do it, but he did. This had, this had no drugging effect, okay? Sour wine. It was like vinegar. Put it on a reed, gave it to him to drink, and saying, now watch this. Wait, let us see whether Elijah will come and take him down. Folks, there will always be those who are there for the show. I don't know that we have any passers-by here. My guess is that in every church, we probably have some bystanders. Those who have come for the show. Show me something exciting. Show me a miracle. Let's see if Elijah will come and take him down. Again, the cry of the world is anything to avoid the cross. And certainly, I, I, don't, I don't know how else to say it. I, 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 there was a lot of motion 
don't get the idea that everybody was just standing there. They were taught, here's a guy on the cross, and he's pushing himself up to catch a breath, and there are two people beside him, and they are in the, 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 the most agonizing situation that you can, well, you can't imagine, really. But then there's all this stuff going on. It's a carnival-like atmosphere. I, I don't know how else to say it. We took several of our grandchildren to the, the park over at Hefner Lake. And just kids running around. I don't know if there were any kids there. But it, it almost had a carnival-like atmosphere. And we were going to our car, and then the, the good humor truck pulled up with the incessant song that I've still got going through my head this morning. Oh, let's go buy it. I don't know. I don't think there was that there, food vendors and all of the rest, but you've got to see that there were those that were there, and some of them were just saying, oh, I've come for the show. Let's see what God can do. In reality, darkness was going on, and at that same time, a marvelous transaction is happening, and they are totally oblivious. They said, come down from the cross. Could Jesus come down from the cross? I'll talk about this in a little bit more in a minute. But even if he didn't, I think in the back of their minds, they were thinking, well, maybe he won't come down from the cross, but maybe if we stick around, he'll do something else. By the way, he did. He came out of the tomb. Let's go on to the third group of people. The religious leaders. Oh, you got to love them. Now, blessed is the man who does not walk in the way of the sinners, the wicked, stand in the path of the, 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 the sinners, or sit in the seat of the scornful. And I saw in these first three groups a perfect picture. The religious leaders, didn't Jesus say somewhere that they loved the chief seats? They loved to be in authority. Now, here's what they did. Also, the chief priests, the scribes, and the elders mocked him. Stop. Have, have you ever been mocked? Have you? Have you ever been mocked, made fun of? How, how does it feel? Very little infuriates or hurts more. But the religious leaders, they delighted to mock. Wow. He saved others. Boy, they, they are, there's a lot of theology here. He cannot save himself. Again, I'll talk about this in just a second. In reality, he could not save himself if he was going to save others. We live in a save-yourself culture. Four times the crowds are going to say, save yourself. Well, one of them is an individual. Save yourself. Save yourself. That's what our culture tells us. Save yourself. Jesus could not save himself if he were going to save others. But they hated him. I, th this is what is so amazing. We've come to, to, to look at the scribes and the Pharisees and the elders and all the, the religious leaders as just awful people. F 
folks, they were seen as the, the, the upstanding citizens. They were the cream of the crop, politically, religiously. They ran the show. And Jesus came along, and for too long, <laughs> He had been a fly in their ointment. He had been a burr in their saddle. He had been the rain on their parade. Are you getting the picture? So this is why they talk in these ways. He saved others. He cannot save himself. If he, he is the king of Israel, they made that statement, let him come down now from the cross and we will believe in him. Oh, really? He trusts in God. Let God deliver him now if he desires him. For he said, I am the Son of God. Did you, did you see it there? They're talking about Jesus as King and as Savior and as the Son of God, but they missed it. Jesus had openly defied them, embarrassed them. Uh, he often makes religious people uncomfortable. When I, when I read the Word and I see the words of Jesus, and, and I've slipped into my religiosity. He makes me uncomfortable. And so deep was their hatred. Un, they're, they're hardened. They're not walking or standing. They're seated in the seat of the scornful. So deep was their hatred. And, and, and I don't know if you've ever been around somebody that, that did this. They're not even speaking to him. They're speaking about him. They're speaking to each other about him. Oh, this is what he said. Let him, this is what he did. It was almost like they were saying, you're not even worth addressing. I, I, I just, I, you know, sometimes you don't know what to say. Keepers of the truth, they were keepers of the truth, and yet they had the truth standing in front of them, ha hanging in front of them, and they missed it. A lot like religious and political leaders throughout history. There is nothing new under the sun. These guys are just like religious and political leaders throughout history who do whatever it takes to eliminate anything that is opposition to their power to their position, and to their possessions. And I'm not poking at any particular political party. I'm saying this is political and religious leadership around the globe. And so while they engaged in theological debate, they really were seeking to dismantle everything about Jesus. King of Israel? No. King's not going to die on the cross unless the king chose the cross as his throne. Savior? He's no savior. He can't even save himself, like I said a minute ago. Couldn't or wouldn't? Son of God? God wouldn't do this to his son. So the religious leaders had him on the cross exactly where they wanted him, or, or did they? Let's move on to the next group, the Roman soldiers. Now, we're coming in a little bit closer. 
The soldiers also mocked him. Everybody's getting into the act, coming up and offering him sour wine and saying, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourselves. You know, this is one of the few passages in all of Scripture where, the, where Roman soldiers are put into a negative light. Normally, what we read is very positive. They were, they were proud conquerors. They weren't Jews, but they joined in to the crowd in, in the chorus of savage mockery. They belonged to an empire that had high regard for leaders that would sacrifice thousands of people, of soldiers, for a brief victory, but only scorn for a leader who would sacrifice himself so that others might live. They were pagans. They believed that every nation had its own God, but none of them could be as weak as the God of Israel. Now, remember that right above where Jesus was hanging, on His cross it was written, He is the King of the Jews. And so their thought was, well, if, if their king was a God, then they just hung their God. Now, I, I think what you get out of this group of guys, they were professionals. They weren't just soldiers. They had been trained in, and they were adept at being executioners. They were good at what they did. And in a sense, what they're doing in the verse we just read, they were bragging about what a good job they had done. That, that, that word, save yourself, was a hidden boast of the fact that you, you, can't, you can't get out of what we have done. But we know that it was not weakness that kept him there. It was obedience to the law of sacrifice. The interesting thing is, probably, probably these same soldiers would be stationed at the tomb on resurrection morning and discover not only how wrong they were, but why he would not save himself. Let's pull in closer. Now we look at uh, three individuals, okay? The thief on the left, we've, we've got two of the robbers, the thieves, they're called by various names, uh, the, the evildoers, the sinners, the whatever they were. This is the guy on Jesus' left, and his taunt is, and by the way, they both started, the guy on the right and the left, they started out mocking and taunting Jesus. One of the criminals who were hanged railed at him saying, you, are you not the Christ? Save yourself, now watch this, and save us. So for a fourth time, the taunt, save yourself, came. And, and, and maybe at first glance, it almost sounds like that he wanted to be saved. Well, he did but not in a spiritual sense, in a physical sense, from pain and death. The, the thief is typical of a self-centered person. Again, no consciousness of any personal wrongdoing, asking, God, why did this happen to me? Someone is called, the thief on the left, a perfect representative of the prosperity gospel. Save yourself and save us. You exist to meet my personal needs. And if religion can't give relief from trials and give me a blessing, what good is it? He would have done anything to save his own skin, but the question is this, what would have 
changed for him if he had been saved from death. Like so many today, he judged the saving power of God only on salvation from personal problems. Let's move on to the next person. Now, this, this is where it begins to get good. We're talking about the last two responses, the last two words spoken to the cross, and where all of these were negative and mocking the Lord Jesus, these were the right responses. I hope that you're not in any of those previous camps. Luke 23 tells us about the thief on Jesus' right. Now, it's always been, this is a fascinating story, always been to me. And, I, and we, we don't know what happened. Well, what was the difference other, other than the grace of God that, that called, that, that drew him? I, I don't know. I can't explain it. But the other finally came to his senses and rebuked the thief on his left, saying, do you not fear God since you're under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward for our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. In fact, this is the only positive word spoken while Jesus was still alive. Now, here, here's the amazing thing, and maybe you've wondered about this. You might have this situation in your own family. You might even be sitting next to someone that this is a symbolic of. Isn't it amazing how two people can be virtually in the same place, both close to Jesus, identical circumstances, and still respond, still react in totally different ways. Let me share something with you. It's happening right now. That, that's just reality. Someone you could be sitting with right here next to you. Someone, for those of you who are watching in the overflow or in the masked-only venue, or some of you at home, do you realize people can be in identical circumstances and react differently to the Lord Jesus Christ? And here's what he basically revealed. He revealed a repentant heart. I, I, I guess Jesus, it, it seems that he noticed that he saw Jesus' innocence and his righteousness, and he saw his own guilt I'm guessing, but, but probably he had heard. Maybe when he was taunting, but maybe he took a breath and he heard Jesus say, Father, forgive them. And maybe it clicked. And the Holy Spirit used that word to draw him. He didn't look for proofs like other people did. He didn't look for conditions. He simply believed while others disbelieved. He got it. While the majority of Jesus' disciples even were missing it, at least right at that point. Now, here's one of the wonderful things about this. Let, let, let me just apply this. Let's say that you're sitting here, and I'm looking around. I know most of you, and I think I can safely say that you represent uh, a person who has already believed in Christ. But let's just say, maybe it's a young person or 
a child. You're sitting there and all of a sudden the light has gone on and you've seen the reality of Jesus offering the gift of forgiveness. Father, forgive them. You've seen the reality of your own sinful condition and all of a sudden you say, Lord, remember me. I believe in you. I trust in you. Remember me. Now, let me tell you, just like the thief, you always get more than what you bargained for. If you say that, he said, Jesus, remember me. And let me paraphrase Jesus' words. Well, he said, Today you'll be with me in paradise. Let me paraphrase that. Bud, I'm going to do a lot more than remember you. Today you're going to be with me in paradise. And oh, by the way, that's not just for today. You don't just get a day pass. This is for eternity that you will be with me. I'm forgiving the penalty of your sin right now. I'm forgiving the power of your sin. If that guy could have gotten off the cross, he would have begun to be a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. But in just a very, very short time, that man was going to be delivered from the very presence of sin. People have asked me over the years, do I believe in deathbed conversions? I see some heads nodding. <laughs> if you ever doubted deathbed conversions, read that passage. We never know what God will do in those final moments. Now, by the way, if you are outside of saving faith in Christ... And you took those words and said, yes, I'm going to wait until my deathbed. Uh, that is a very foolish thing to do. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. Well, let's look at the last guy, the Roman centurion. I know what you're thinking. We know who the centurion is. Tradition says his name was Petronius, but we know that he was John Wayne. Students, the greatest story ever told, surely this was the Son of God. Anyway, I can't John Wayne that. I can't do the Duke. This guy, okay, this is, this is maybe even more incredible than the thief on the cross. The two really, really great stories. This is the man who presided over Jesus' execution. We don't know what happened to him. Tradition says that he became a Christian. We don't know. But what we do know because of history is that he was a battle-worn soldier. He had seen men die. But he had never seen anything like this. And when the centurion who stood facing him in that picture that I told you about that I have, there's the centurion. And all of the other ones, side glances, he's looking right at the, the body of Jesus. He was facing him, saw that in this way he, believed, he breathed his last. He said, truly, this man was the Son of God. Now, do you remember that passage that I read to you at the beginning? Who do men say I am? What was Peter's answer? You're the Messiah. You're the Christ. The what? the Son of the living God. What an incredible parallel. I mean, think, 
Think of some of the things. I've shared these before during Easter time. Some of the things that he saw that he had never seen before when a man had died. I, I, from what we have as an indication, Jesus never cried out or tried to escape the spikes. He refused the drug. There, there was a kind of a mind-numbing drug, that the gall that they would give him. He refused that. Most of the people who were crucified would curse. Instead, this man Jesus asked that forgiveness be given to his tormentors. He was strong at the moment of his death. That was something you did not see after, after pushing yourself up and dropping, pushing yourself up and dropping. You would just many times die of exhaustion. That he was strong enough at the moment of his death to cry out, into your hands I commend my spirit. He'd never seen anything like when Christ hung on the cross, the, the sun went dark, it hit its light. The earth shook. Now remember what he saw. I, it says that in Jerusalem, the tombs were open and dead people got up and walked around. I don't think that happened at every crucifixion. But the thing that he saw was that Jesus was not a victim. He was the master over his life. He saw how he died. How he died. Did he become a Christian? I don't know. We don't know. But what we see in the last two people is the cross is already bearing fruit. It's beginning to bear fruit. It didn't look like much, but there was much fruit to come. A Jewish thief came for pardon. Now a soldier of Caesar bowed in adoration of the king who hung on the cross and gave his life. We said these words a few minutes ago, and I started with this, the foolishness, the obscenity of the cross. We, we've got to get at least a little bit of, of a grip on that. But I didn't share the last part that I'll share with you now. The word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Jesus stayed on the cross for you and me. He couldn't save himself. Anymore, I wrote a few things down, than the sun could save itself and warm the earth, or the rain could save itself and still water the ground, or that the seed could save itself and still bring forth fruit. Jesus could not save himself and save his people at the last time. So how will you look at him today? Who do you say that Jesus is? Will you say you are king, you are the son of God, and remember me, save me from my sin? Father, I thank you that you are the God who wonder of wonders became a man, and, and you walked on this earth fully God and fully man. And then you hung between heaven and earth. And Paul tells us in one of his letters that he made him who knew no sin to be sin, 
on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. Father, you did that for us through Christ. And I pray that if there is anyone here today who has, has seen his or her own, the, the reality of their sin, their condition of lostness before a holy God, and they've also seen the wonder of Christ crucified and buried, and we will celebrate this next week, resurrected on the third day for our sins. That that person, whether it's a young person or a child or a middle-aged or an old person, might cry out and receive Jesus and be saved. Thank you, Lord, for the words of your Scripture that not only inform our mind, but inform our hearts. And may we respond by saying, Jesus is my Lord. We pray this in His name. Amen.